welcome to the Web Policy Talk podcast recorded live at the Impact and Policy Research Institute Impri New Delhi Yes. Okay, sir. Okay. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, I am Balwant Singh Mehta, and welcome you all on the talk series on India's state of employment, organized by Center for Work and Welfare at IMPI, New Delhi, and with partnership uh, uh, with uh, Counterview, uh, our our media partner. As you know, uh, the novel uh, coronavirus disease pandemic has uh, uh, destroyed the livelihood and employment of millions of people across the world. there are various reports and surveys estimates of huge job losses particularly in informal sector and temporary nature of work in services and industrial sector particularly in asia asian countries like india where the majority of the worker engaged in informal sector and informal employment that is around 81% and around 91 90% in 2018 19 with the increasing level of urbanization and continuum of migration from Uh, uh, from rural to urban area, the urban informalization within the formal sector has expanded over the years, and we have seen during the pandemic period how the migration uh, has uh, has created uh, how this informal sector and migration has really visible uh, uh, during uh, the problem of migration and informal sector visible during the COVID-19. So, so this really uh, worrying the policy makers and other stakeholder. in this country particularly in india in this context the experts insight uh, on present employment situation and future policy direction is most important so we are fortunate that today we have with us one of the eminent experts in employment issues professor arup mitra who is currently professor and dean of south asian university delhi uh, he has uh, uh, more than 3 decade of experience we all have learned so much from him and most of our work is also motivated by his contribution uh, so first let me briefly introduce his uh, uh, introduce professor uh, arup mitra uh, before joining south asian university he worked as a professor of economics at uh, institute of economic growth uh, delhi and also director general national institute of labor economics uh, research and development and autonomous organization attached to niti ayog he completed his mba mphil and phd from delhi school of economics uh, and uh, uh, delhi school of economics and post doctoral from northwestern university usa he has also worked as a consultant to numerous international organization as a visiting professor with several international universities he had, he was awarded by the indian economic society mahanvis memorial gold medal for his outstanding contribution to quantitative economics he has been a member of a subject expert committee uh, his book on inclusive growth employment and well being published by springer has received professor sr saint best book award he has published more than 100 article in dozens of top uh, journals uh, such as world development apw and others and published 10 books from reputed uh, publishing houses such as springer cambridge university press orient blacksman etc this speaks about his, the quality of uh, research work he has done over the last uh, three decades uh, 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 to today's talk of professor mitra will focus on employment challenges current employment challenges and way forward and today we have uh, uh, after the talk we have uh, 
uh, with us for the discussion. Uh, we have Professor Bharat Singh from Delhi University, Dr. Manorama Bhatsi, Senior Advisor, Tata Trust, Dr. Reena Kumari from uh, Lalit Nayan Mithila University, and Dr. Arjun Kumar, Director of IMPRI. Now, without uh, any further ado, I will request Professor Mitra to, uh, uh, for his special talk. Thank you, sir, and welcome. Good afternoon. This is great pleasure on my part to share my ideas and thoughts on the employment challenges in India. Uh, I have a brief presentation uh, to make, so let me share my screen with you. Uh, let me begin by uh, defining what exactly I mean by employment problem. I'm not referring to the concept of all the unemployment problem, rather employment problem. Now, employment problem, it uh, includes uh, the open unemployment rate as well as the informal sector employment rate. So it's much bigger than what we mean by unemployment. There are many individuals who cannot afford to remain unemployed for long. So they get into regularly get absorbed in, uh, in marginal activities and continue to work there with mega earnings. So the informal sector employment or the set of working poor would be more important rather than referring to open and those who are openly unemployed. Also, it is important to make a distinction between informal sector employment and informal employment. As you know, within the formal sector, the informalization has been taking place. Right after the mid 80s, I think particularly after the 90s, the informalization process has been going on within the formal sector. This is primarily to reduce the uh, wage cost within the formal sector. So there are many mechanisms through which these informalization processes have been introduced. The intermediaries, the labor intermediaries have been hired significantly and they have introduced this contextualization process. So when we are referring to this term informal employment, we would obviously refer to those who are engaged in small units like informal sector and also those who are in the uh, formal sector in informal capacity. Um, we may equate them because in spite of working in the formal sector, they are as vulnerable as the informal sectors are in terms of lack of safety net and many other benefits. So um, given this background, let me just uh, brief, uh, brief very uh, sort of uh, about the 2017-18 uh, periodic labor force survey data. That uh, what we get to see here that uh, unemployment rate uh, rose significantly. And everyone was worried that uh, what happened, um, the unemployment rate compared to the previous NSS rounds uh, had uh, shot up. Of course, we get to see that the educational attainment improved and the urbanization level also increased. So this sort of, uh, uh, it, it sounded at the back of our mind that maybe Indian economy is maturing. It is attaining the maturing stage. And that is the reason why the open unemployment is also rising along with educational attainments. What it means that people now can afford to remain unemployed for some time and look for better jobs. Similarly, when people have migrated to the urban space with higher levels of education, they are looking for jobs of their desirable status. And that is the reason why the unemployment rate has increased. So nothing to worry about the rise in the unemployment rate. Rather, it could be a, a sort of silver lining and it could be indicating the maturing stage of the economy. 
and along with the rise in the unemployment rate we could also see that the incidence of informal sector employment had declined so that strengthened our uh, interpretation that yes uh, the uh, economy was maturing so people needn't have to be pushed into the low productivity residual sector activities rather they could afford to wait to receive better jobs so that that was one major feature which emerged from 2017 18 periodic labor force survey data also um, in terms of our quantitative exercises we are able to see that there are considerable overlaps between the informal sector employment migration and rural poverty if you look into some of these uh, theoretical uh, models uh, by harris todero and uh, todero you would find that they uh, they largely talked about the rise in incidence of rural poverty which will encourage people or motivated people to migrate to the urban space and as they migrate to the urban space obviously there may be a shortage of uh, labor demand so the mismatch between the labor demand and labor supply may result in a residual sector employment in the informal sector they may be looking for better jobs they may be looking for um, jobs in the high productivity activities but the labor demand in the high productivity activities may not match with the quality of labor uh, which has uh, migrated to the urban space so that is the reason why they are then working in the informal sector as self employed workers or casual workers etc because the high productivity segment within the urban space will always demand for the highly skilled uh, labor force Uh, whereas the mm, people who have migrated from the rural space may not actually may be in a position to cope up with those requirements and uh, we try to sort of model this exercise in the harris todero framework and we try to see what is the uh, association between urban poverty and rural poverty because those uh, some of those theoretical uh, underpinnings had suggested that um, as people move from the rural space to the urban space they Um, get uh, residually absorbed in low productivity activities and eventually they transfer rural poverty to the urban space so urban poverty is nothing but a spillover of rural poverty so many of the policy recommendations which had come up during the 70s and 80s had talked about the implementation of rural development programs on a significant scale and uh, their idea was that if rural development programs anti poverty programs are implemented with all sincerity then automatically urban poverty will be taken care of so in the backdrop of that when we were trying to um, work out the elasticity of urban poverty with respect to rural poverty what we found that the magnitude was extremely low it was only about 0.1 what it means that as rural poverty increases it will definitely Uh, raise the incidence of urban poverty but only to a nominal extent so rural poverty adds to urban poverty only at the margin well, so two implications can be drawn uh, one is that many rural poor cannot afford to migrate to the urban space because migration is associated with a cost and many rural poor may not actually afford afford that cost and hence they are not able to migrate to the urban space also it means that many of the urban poor have already been residing in the urban space for for a very long time hence you cannot interpret the entire stock of urban poverty merely in terms of rural flow or the flow of migration from the rural to the urban space 
and uh, the flow is taking place. So there is a statistically significant relationship between rural poverty and urban poverty. But the entire stock of urban poverty cannot be rationalized, cannot be explained merely in terms of rural poverty. So um, there are, even if you implement the rural development programs and anti-poverty programs with all sincerity, there are many urban poor who have lost their contacts with the rural space, and hence they may not be in a position to go back to the rural areas and take advantage of this situation. Hence, it was felt very strongly that the urban anti-poverty programs should also be implemented. So like NREGA, people had also mentioned that uh, an urban counterpart of the NREGA should be introduced. And um, these NREGA programs merely should not focus on the public distribution system, etc. Rather, it should try to focus on the safety net in the informal sector, in the implementation of minimum wages, not only in the formal, also in the informal sector, and, those, and for those who are in informal employment, and uh, also some kind of employment um, uh, insurance or employment security to be provided. Um, as you know, the, the National Commission on Unorganized Sector Enterprises was uh, set up, and it had come up with a large number of recommendations. And uh, so all this basically followed from this uh, viewpoint that urban poverty is not just the spillover of rural poverty. Urban poverty has been existing in the urban space for a, for a very, very long time. Now, if you look at the urban jobs, particularly in the informal sector, is it true that uh, the informal sector jobs uh, comprise only low productivity activities? No, not necessarily they comprise only low productivity activities. Some of the units are quite productive. In fact, some of the units in the urban space, they decide to remain small so that they are able to avoid the tax burdens, etc. So not necessarily all the small units are characterized by low productivity. In fact, we have a lot of evidence that even within the informal sector, people are able to experience upward mobility. Maybe a person had joined as a, um, as a uh, sort of helper in a, um, in a, a tea shop. Now, after decades, uh, perhaps he has, he's owning a, a, tea, a tea stall. So those kinds of mobility uh, anecdotal evidence is available. Also, the informal sector is uh, seen to have strong linkages with the formal sector. So many of the development economists then had suggested that if the informal sector has strong linkages with the formal sector in terms of business subcontracting, in terms of uh, ancillarization, et cetera, then what is the worry? If the formal sector is growing and if the formal sector is connected to the rest of the world, then automatically the informal sector workers would also benefit because the business contract and ancillarization, et cetera, all will take place through these linkages. But again, in terms of our research, we, what we have seen that the, the intermediary class is extremely large. And because of this operation of the middlemen, the profits uh, get squeezed. And even when the formal sector is in a position to pay the minimum wages, etc., for the informal sector workers, they do not actually get paid. Uh, it's, it's primarily expropriated by uh, the labor intermediary. Now, as you look at the uh, rural sector, uh, poverty exists in the agriculture sector and also in the rural non-farm sector. In agriculture sector, as you know, because of uh, climatic uh, changes, because of uh, shortage of uh, water, um, the cultivation pattern is changing very much. 
the cropping pattern has also changed. The number of times that the crops are uh, cultivated that has also reduced significantly. So employment possibilities are shrinking uh, tremendously. So livelihood, livelihood opportunities are, are uh, shrinking and people are being pushed out of the agriculture, either to the rural non-farm sector or to the urban space. Now in the rural non-farm sector, we are able to see two kinds of activities that are organized. One is, uh, one is responding to demand-induced uh, uh, sort of uh, um, actions. Uh, so we call them as demand-induced uh, activities. And the other kind of activities uh, primarily fall into the domain of what we call as residual sector activities. So they, these residual sector activities would include your vegetable vendors and uh, tea stall operators, etc., even in the rural space. And during the 90s and 2000s, you get to see there has been a huge proliferation of such residual type of activities in the rural space. Not only in the urban space, also in the rural space. And that is how many of these rural areas are now being converted into the urban space. So all of a sudden, you get to see 2,500 census towns emerged in 2011. Um, the government of India doesn't recognize them as uh, urban space because they do not have any lo urban local bodies. Uh, but in terms of activities, etc., you are able to see that they are no more agriculture dominated. They are primarily dominated by non-farm sector activities. So by the de uh, definition, they have all been converted into the urban space. But because they do not have an urban local body, they are called as census towns and not statutory towns. And these census towns, unfortunately, are not able to get a proper share of the urban investment. And hence, they are not able to invest on uh, creation of livelihood opportunities or creation of infrastructure, etc. So these people get again, uh, tend to get absorbed in low productivity activities. Now, uh, as you come to the urban space, you are able to see that large cities vis-a-vis -vis the medium-sized and small towns exist simultaneously. And there are um, about 50 and odd, um, as per 2011 census, million plus cities, and uh, more than 400 class one cities. So these class one, each of these class one cities would have more than uh, 100,000 population. And in terms of our urban economics literature, what we have seen that these uh, large cities are relatively better off compared to the small towns or medium-sized towns. The concentration of economic activities the concentration of population, the concentration of market, it tends to reduce the cost of operation. At the same time, it adds to productivity growth. So what you are able to see that uh, often we have read in the textbook that concentration is a bad word, but the urban economists would suggest that no concentration also has a positive side. Because of concentration of activities, you are able to share the cost and hence uh, your uh, cost of operation uh, for each of the farms will be reduced and the productivity growth will be much higher. So with same amount of resources, if you are located in a large city, your productive performance will be much better compared to a farm with, uh, which is located in a small town and operating with the same amount of resources. And then further the urban economists argue that because of this productivity growth, a part of this productivity rise is also transferred to the workers. So the workers in large cities for the same activity will get higher wages compared to, the, to their counterparts in small towns or medium-sized towns. Now, given this situation, 
we may like to visit the migration rates from the rural to the urban areas. If you calculate the rural to urban, all urban area migration rate in the Indian context, these rates are not really very significant. They are very, very moderate. And it comes as a big surprise because if you look into the history of most of the present day developed nations, you would find that huge amount of migration had taken place during the 19th century and early 20th century. But that is not happening in the Indian context. So people start wondering that why Lewis model is not working. Now, if you recalculate the migration rate, not as a percentage of total urban population, but as a percentage of total city population, that is the pace of migration from rural to large cities, then you would find that the migration rate is quite spectacular. It is quite significant. So the migrants are quite rational. They know that if they travel to the large cities, then they will benefit more. For the same activity, they will be able to get higher wages because the productivity levels in the large cities are much higher. And also the search cost, the job search cost will be very less. And uh, the information pertaining to the uh, urban job market can be accessed easily. Uh, now, if you uh, look at, uh, if you pose this question, that how do they, the migrants, the illiterate migrants, the unskilled migrants, they access uh, information about the urban job market. It is primarily through your caste kinship bonds and through all informal uh, bonds and informal networks. So networks are very important, but they do not have access to formal networks. It is through the informal channels, the information flow from the uh, urban space to the rural areas. So they are sure about their recruitment and after receiving the information, they migrate to the urban space. So it is not uh, really true that what we had read that the urban bright lights would, uh, uh, would uh, attract the rural lads to migrate to the uh, urban space. So they are very well informed and they are very rational in making their decisions. Now, when you look at the duration of migration and poverty, yes, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that those who have migrated 10 years back, 15 years back, and have been continuously staying in the urban space for long, they have been successful in reducing their poverty. I'm not saying that they have com completely escaped poverty, but definitely the intensity of poverty has declined. And there is a negative relationship between the incidence of poverty and the duration of migration. Also, my migration and poverty tends to vary according to the ethnic background. Not necessarily everyone will uh, experience upward mobility to the same extent. People of certain um, uh, ethnic backgrounds are able to experience much rapid uh, upward mobility. And uh, there are also another important point which comes up, that is the contribution of these uh, migrant households, these low income households to city growth and the value addition that the city is creating. In fact, Yujira Hayami and uh, uh, others had done a very interesting study in the context of Delhi, uh, West Collectors, that, is, that was their case study. And what, uh, through the income expenditure approach, they worked out the amount of value addition that the waste collectors are creating. In other words, if the government had to appoint waste collectors and had to pay wages, then it would have, been, uh, it, it would have involved enormous amount of cost for the government. On the other hand, the waste collectors were creating so much value addition at, a, at such a low, uh, uh, low cost. Um, and in, in relation to the value addition that they were creating, the amount of income that they were able to earn was extremely meager. 
And that is the reason why this study had recommended that the government should be providing infrastructural support and all kinds of uh, other uh, supportive uh, facilities to these migrants. So uh, the, the, all that I'm trying to argue that exclusive, ex, uh, exclusionary urbanization is something not acceptable. It's not that you demolish the slums and you send them back or you implement such an urban policy so that the migrants are discouraged and they are bound to go back to the rural space. This is something not acceptable. They are creating a lot of uh, value addition and accordingly they should be paid and they should also be accommodated within the urban space. Now, uh, the, the, two other important things I wanted to highlight uh, in the present context, that if you look at the periodic labor force survey data, the sustainable livelihood opportunities are declining significantly. Now, interestingly, they have given you information for the same household for four different sub-rounds within a given year. So if you track one particular household and you try to see that what this particular household is doing over the four, four sub-rounds, you would be sur surprised to note that a significant percentage of the households and their members are not in a position to sustain their livelihood. They are changing from one livelihood to another livelihood as time passes by. So that, what it tries to indicate that uh, the, because of lack of uh, certain infrastructural facilities in the rural space and also in the urban informal sector, they are, they are being forced to change their uh, occupation from time and again. Um, and another important point that emerges that they are not, even at a given point in time, they are not able to focus on a single activity. They are getting into multiple sources of livelihood because the amount of income that they earn from one particular activity is not sufficient to give them the minimum subsistence level of living. So that is why they are accessing multiple sources of livelihood even at a given point of time. Let's say one principal status job, another subsidiary status job, or two, three subsidiary status jobs. A significant percentage of the population are sort of doing such kind of activities. Now in the backdrop of this, now you get to see that the recent pandemic occurred, lockdown was announced, and reverse migration took place. Many people were forced to leave the cities because they, they did not have enough income to pay the rents and to sustain their consumption. So they thought it would be advisable to uh, go back to the rural space, at least where they have their own land. And then they, they would look for uh, sort of alternative avenues, alternative employment opportunities. As a result, what happened? The urban unemployment rate declined naturally so this, this is nothing to be sort of happy about. The urban unemployment rate declined because people had left the urban space and they had gone back to the rural space. On the other hand, the rural unemployment rate rose tremendously. It came up to about 24%, then declined to 17%, and then slowly it decelerated. But again, we should not be feeling happy about this decline in the rural unemployment rate. Because what had happened, the same activity in the rural space was being shared by a large number of individuals. In other words, there was a lot of disguised unemployment. What was being performed by two individuals is now being performed by four individuals. Because after the migrants returned to their rural home, after one week, there were no more guests. 
they had to strive hard with the uh, other brothers. So the same occupation was shared by large number of individuals. So there was no open unemployment. So open unemployment was declining, but we must understand that this open unemployment was, uh, this decline was not really a, really a silver lining. Rather, there, the activity was shared by many, so income was also shared by many. So per capita income was declining tremendously. And if there is a consumption expenditure survey conducted during this time, we will be able to see that in what way it had actually impacted on the consumption expenditure of the individuals. Anyway, I do not want to get into the details. As you know, uh, the details were flashed in various platforms. Now we should talk about the, uh, the future strategies. Um, I'm using this term uh, opportunity, though I should not be using this term opportunity. It is pandemic and it is uh, uh, lockdown and it is uh, severe stress on livelihood. But still, from the positive side, I'm saying, let us take this opportunity to revive the economy. We have always been talking about the productivity growth in the rural non-farm sector, but the rural non-farm sector never, uh, never emerged as a strong pillar in the Indian context. Ever since the independence day, we have been saying that rural industrialization must pick up, but that never happened, except in a few pockets of Maharashtra and Gujarat. So now I think it is the opportunity that the government should take and we should, uh, the investors, the private investors should also take to invest in the rural economy significantly. So this strategy of rural industrialization can be implemented to a significant extent. And a lot of productive employment opportunities can be provided to those who have gone back from the urban space to the rural space and also to those who are disguisedly uh, working in the agricultural sector they should at least be able to leave the agriculture sector to fewer hands and should be in a position to move into the rural non-farm sector in a, in a significant manner. And the, the, the last point relates to your, again, revival of the informal sector, urban informal sector workers. We should now think of more um, productive strategies for enhancing the productivity growth of the workers in the informal sector to provide them certain prerequisites, to provide them certain infrastructural benefit. For example, uh, there has al always been a problem about a space that uh, where uh, should they run their business. So if the government is able to provide them some kind of, uh, of uh, land ownership, perhaps they will be able to make their investment on housing, investment on their shops. So if the, so the land tenure is, is very important in the urban context. Land tenure was important in the rural context. Now we are saying that this ownership right in the urban context is also very important. Implementation of minimum wage, et cetera, that is important. I'm not denying the importance of these uh, issues, but at the same time, how to encourage the informal sector workers to operate their, uh, their own businesses so that there is not much harassment from the government, there is not much harassment from the police, and they should be in a position to uh, operate their uh, business smoothly and they don't have to share their incomes with other uh, rent seekers. Thank you very much. Balan sir, you are on mute. Thank you, sir, for a enlightening lecture and it's really, uh, you know, you have covered all kind of, you know, issues which, uh, you know, 
we are currently thinking about and we also uh, the most important part is the, you know the migration uh, rural to urban migration which always think is uh, you know the is linked to the poverty because uh, that that is one of the issues which really uh, you know very insightful and the other thing what you what you suggest like how uh, this uh, uh, you know informal uh, sector low productive and high productive uh, formal sector and informal to formal sector how they are linkages because we have also done the similar kind of studies where we have seen you know uh, uh, the the informal uh, the formal manufacturing units uh, you know they also linked with the informal because most of uh, most of their work is uh, uh, done by you know uh, through uh, you know contact to the you know smaller or informal enterprises and that is also dominate in indian economy so they are also even even uh, so both are uh, both are linked together and the third point which you have raised is there is a need of anti poverty programs in a similar in a similar way in in, uh, in a you know rural area in even in urban spaces urban spaces also and uh, and there are a lot of other other issues which are really really you know uh, the unemployment disguised unemployment so this is reality at present obviously in the long run we have to think about the rural industrialization that is uh, that we are uh, that our government our policy maker are thinking about the last you know 70 years but still that is an you know uh, it's not uh, possible but this is the opportune time i think uh, because of huge uh, reverse migration and other uh, you know uh, the skills level available so these are the things which really uh, you know is a is a really is a i think uh, uh, value Uh, to the expert value to policy uh, policy makers i think if we'll really uh, implement these kind of uh, things in the coming days or in the in the after is the this uh, pandemic will be over or we know we don't know the time but i think these are the policy future policy implications is very much now i would request uh, uh, professor bharat singh to to uh, i think uh, uh, issue the previous some issues or also you can ask uh, professor mitra uh, regarding your some of your concern and all other things thank you thank you balwan ji sir your camera is off thank you very much uh, balwan ji and uh, uh, my warm greetings to all the participants and uh, some of my students are also part of this uh, webinar they are also watching it uh, i have uh, a couple of uh, uh, queries rather uh, questions uh, from uh, professor mitra one is that you mentioned about the percentage of migration as proportion of rural population and uh, other maybe the percentage of migrants as proportion of city population and urban population Uh, i would like to know the precise distinction between these three terms and what are its implications for the employment generation employment opportunity both in the rural areas and the urban areas secondly uh, there has been a rise in the uh, population of students and we have always been anxious about improving the quality of employment not only the total volume of employment but its quality also in terms of the uh, the income and sustainability of the income that they earn uh, my my uh, question is on behalf of the students that uh, whether how do you see this phenomena that for the time being there is decline in the uh, total workforce of the, uh, the the economy 
in the light of increasing uh, size of the student population is this as is this phenomena a ray of hope a silver lining in the direction of improving the quality of employment for future india these are the uh, two questions oh. that i would like to okay thank you very uh, much from you. Um, actually uh, if you uh, how do we look at migration if you look at migration as a percentage those who let's say those who have migrated in last 10 years as a percentage of rural population then you would find that it's a very very small percentage and then you will have the tendency to conclude oh rural to urban migration rate is extremely nominal why are you worried about this why are you uh, saying that migration is huge now if you take the migration flow the migrants as a percentage of urban population then it's a little better again it is less than 10% on an average it is about 10% at the all india level and it would vary across states uh, even some of the states it's as nominal as 5% 7% etc again people would have a temptation to conclude that these rates are very very mo uh, modest why are you so so much worried about the migrant migration phenomenon so what we are saying that let us recalculate we understand that the migrants are not migrating to the entire urban space they are going to the large cities so let us calculate the migration rate as a percentage of city population where actually they are arriving and not the notional migration that we should be talking about so if you work out the actual migration from the rural to the city space then you would find that it is phenomenal that uh, 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 more than one third or, or, or almost half of the 40%, 45% of the total decadal growth can then be attributed to the migration flow. So, you, and uh, as you have seen that over the years, it is not just the low income households who are migrating to the urban space. Uh, also, there are a lot of students, there are a lot of employment seekers at higher levels are also migrating. So uh, we have to keep in mind that the migration is a significant phenomenon and we have to do appropriate planning for their housing, for their jobs, etc. That is the point that I was trying to highlight. That uh, if we calculate the migration rate right at the beginning in the most appropriate way, then only we will be able to uh, provide proper inputs for policy secondly when you say that the quality of employment and the quantum of employment keeping in view the student population keeping in view the uh, the uh, educated population yes the quantum of employment is uh, shrinking and it's a major worry the private investment is not at all coming up in fact the, now the government is debating in what way the effective demand can be enhanced you decompose the effective demand in terms of consumption demand, in terms of uh, uh, your investment, investment demand, and in terms of government expenditure. It is only the government demand that is rising. The investment demand or the consumption demand, they are not at all picking up. So it, uh, definitely next one or two years, we are uh, going to face a major gloom in the, in the job market. So the quantum of employment uh, opportunities uh, will be declining and many of the corporate sectors, they have almost stopped their placement centers. And even if they are recruiting, very few are being recruited. Uh, so so that's a point of, uh, to worry about and the quality of employment. Now, given this situation, how long people, will, people can afford unemployment? Even, even if they are educated and even if their parents, let's say, are able to 
suffice for some time and they can look for jobs but eventually the the component of self-respect is so much high that they will have to look for job opportunities and i can see that some of the people who are actually eligible for lecturers position or to work in the corporate sector now they are sending their biodata to get recruited as field investigators you know the field investigators job is much much inferior to the uh, proper researcher uh, job and i can see that there is a compromise at that front and that compromise is being faced by all sections of the population thank you very much thank you sir Arun sir, your mic again is mute. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, now I'll request uh, Dr. Manorma Batsi to please uh, raise your questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you can you hear me, sir? Yes, yes, yes please. Yes. Professor Mitra, uh, thank you so much for this uh, insights and this presentation. My question to you is, sir, as you know, like uh, pre-COVID times, uh, women labor workforce participation had already declined a lot yeah. so how do you see the current scenario will number one impact the women uh, you know labor participation that's true, that's true. number second is what you rightly said like uh, village industrialization that we need to now look into like and Minister also said that uh, he's looking for localization and he's looking for that is why he introduced the latest uh, scheme that was like Garib Kalyan Rozgar Abhyan wherein uh, almost 50,000 uh, crore rupees mm -hmm. I mean India we are going to invest mm -hmm. my question is uh, do we have that kind of options and that kind of systems and infrastructure ready at the village level that we can yeah. initiate this kind of Rozgar okay. Uh, these are the two questions. One is about yeah. uh, female labor workforce participation and second is about uh, Garib Kalyan yes. Yojana. Thank you very much uh, for your questions. Yes, as you know, the uh, women workforce participation rate has been declining um, even uh, um, before the COVID had taken place. And that has created a major worry among all of us. Why? Now, why do women participate in the labor market? Now, one, we are able to see that in some of the states, particularly in the rural areas, women could participate in the labor market significantly when they are being pushed into the labor market. So what we call as poverty-induced participation. The household is uh, below the poverty line, so all the members have to participate in the labor market, and therefore they have to participate. Now, as the income of the household rises, particularly what we call as um, rise in the uh, spouse's income, then women are forced to withdraw from the labor market. And that is the reason why in the urban context, we get to see the tragedy of the urban middle class. Um, that uh, so many women are highly educated, um, or at least uh, graduates, yet uh, their labor force participation rate is extremely low. So there is a, the stigmatization of uh, um, participation in the labor market. It is still very much prevalent that uh, the household chores and managing the household responsibilities are sort of taken as, uh, as, as a primary responsibility of the women members. And uh, so gender sensitization, et cetera, are very much important. Also, we have shown through our research that women labor force participation rate can be encouraged if flexible working hours and several other infrastructural facilities starting from crochet to all other kinds of support is provided. 
so this flexible working hours provision and working from home these are some of the important mechanisms which can actually encourage women to participate in the labor market and uh, that would also uh, help them to uh, sort of overcome the stigmatization that is associated with the participation in the labor market in the rural context yes the rural industrialization as i was mentioning is a very important um, strategy but for that and uh, we expect that rural industrialization will help people to overcome some of the cultural practices and it will encourage uh, people of both the sexes to participate in the labor market however as you have mentioned very rightly the infrastructural support in the rural context is extremely nominal you do not have adequate power supply continuous power supply you do not have adequate roads so when we are talking about rural industrialization in the remote areas first we have to envisage it in terms of creating infrastructure so without that obviously rural industrialization is not going to be a successful strategy so the and um, and uh, though the private investors are willing to go to the remote rural areas and invest but i i'm not sure that it is actually being implemented and that is primarily due to the lack of rural infrastructure i think the it's high time now the government will have to provide lot of uh, focus on creating the infrastructure you may have seen the work of uh, john reyes and uh, geeta gandhi kingdon where they have shown that how the provision of infrastructure could uh, raise the uh, women uh, the uh, women enrollment in the schools so the and then we had extended uh, that analysis and we had shown that how it can also contribute to um, the creation of uh, job opportunities for women and women will also be able to access those opportunities thank you so much uh, professor mitra one more question i would like to if i have the time if you can answer one thing is i i'm a bit worried like india has recently initiated some time back where initiated like you know community based tourism where in the small time like you know in himachal side and uh, northeast side people used to give in their houses like nagaland and all that uh, where in they could earn some kind of you know money mm. uh, based on tourism kind of activities right um, but now that is also tourism is hardest absolutely. hit kind of a sector absolutely so what is your opinion like going forward like uh, can we initiate at least you know the with an uh, uh, you know internal kind of internalize the tourism right. kind of a thing right. or maybe you know religious tourism absolutely how do you see it like going yes. forward yes it is it's very important uh, as you mentioned rightly the international tourism in the present context or at least in next one year i really do not see much hope about it unless the vaccine comes out even if vaccine comes out it will take a long time to reach the uh, commoners so i think it is very important to encourage people uh, to travel on religious tours and uh, the internal tourism is very important somehow the tourism in the middle class families is not a very significant phenomenon in the indian context uh, like uh, as you get to see in the western world that uh, people save uh, throughout the year to go out during the holidays even within their country that has not been a very significant phenomenon um, just maybe religious tours is is a is is very important but uh, not really going for sightseeing or to enjoy the natural beauty 
So I think that is very important in the present context to encourage and so that people from different states can travel, particularly to the states where you do not have infrastructural support to create rural industrialization overnight, or you do not have enough avenues to provide livelihood opportunities. I think um, it's, it's important that with social distancing, how um, travel can be encouraged so that at least some people can get back their livelihood opportunities. Thank you, Professor Sumitra. Thanks. Thank you, uh, sir, again. Uh, now I'll invite uh, Dr. Reena uh, to raise some questions or some comments. Dr. Reena. Hello. Uh, hello. 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 Yes, yes, yes please. Uh, good evening, sir. Sir, I'm very much happy to listen to you, sir. First of all, uh, I am also very happy to um, see that you have connected everything related to COVID-19 and its impact on um, different sector. That is very praiseworthy. You have also suggested uh, that uh, where we can manage and uh, observe the labor uh, that was uh, informal, uh, rural non-farm sector and uh, agro-based industry is one of them where we can uh, um, engage and uh, observe our labor. My question is related to um, domestic workers, right? Uh, especially women who are working in uh, houses and they are very poor. Uh, so uh, COVID-19 has affected uh, very much among, uh, on them and their livelihood has uh, very much disturbed. So what we can uh, do for them? And the second question is, uh, we know that uh, millions of laborers uh, have come back uh, to their home and uh, they were working in a uh, very skilled enterprise and they were uh, they are um, we, we know that they are skilled and when they come back to uh, their home they are facing uh, serious problems uh, at their local market and uh, they are uh, they are making some sort of competition uh, with their uh, local uh, workers so uh, can we give some suggestion for them and uh, some other uh, type of jobs so that uh, we can engage them and uh, reduce the competition yes uh, absolutely uh, i think the domestic workers are very much hard hit um, some of them had uh, left during the, particularly those who work in the urban space and uh, reside in slums. They had all left the city and then they had gone back to the rural areas. Now they are not in a, many of them are not in a position to come back. And even when they come back, there is a hardship because of the restrictions, because of uh, the uh, mobility restrictions. They are not able to get back those jobs in which they were engaged earlier. And uh, so I think it is, uh, we have to now, um, sort of enlighten, awaken our conscience that we have to pay them more. So that maybe they were earlier, they were doing six jobs and they were able to manage the subsistence level of income. Now they are able to get back only two jobs. So what do we do for them? So the, those two households must think about that and then they try to, must try to raise the uh, pains. So that is, that is one way of, of uh, coping up with the mechanism. So sharing the burden and that the middle class households are perhaps least affected because they are, they are in salaried jobs, they are able to work from home. Um, the, the gig economy is, is uh, getting momentum. And so they are not so much affected in that sense as far as the income is concerned. So let us try to share the burden of those who are 
located at the lower echelons of the socioeconomic ladder. So that is how perhaps we can uh, cope up with the strategies jointly. And the other point is that many uh, skilled workers have gone back to the rural space and they are getting absorbed in petty activities. They are competing with uh, other members of the household, with their neighbors for small jobs. And as a result, what is happening, the actual or the market wage is declining further because of this competition. So it is, uh, it is very important that uh, something should be done immediately in the rural context. As you know, the rural industrialization will not pick up overnight. Um, uh, when, uh, as Madam said, that without infrastructure, it is not possible to have rural industrialization. So in the short run, what can be done? In what way, <coughs> in what way the rural, say for example, the NREGA program you have already in motion, how to expand its scope, how to raise the number of days per, house, per household so that it can become a gainful activity and it can be sustained over a long time. So instead of having those 100 days, Okay, let us say that it can be expanded. If the government is able to allocate more funds to, uh, towards some of these programs, I think it can uh, work as a stopgap arrangement, the public distribution programs, the public works programs. And this energy program should not be, the, should not be in sort of single-handedly pursued. You should try to include many such programs at a time so that it can create a rural infrastructure, it can also create, it can strengthen the irrigation system, it can also help the cropping pattern, it can also contribute to uh, other non-farm uh, activities in the, in the rural space. Say for example, that women can join hands and they can form a cooperative and they can, uh, with government support uh, in terms of credit and marketing assistance, they will be able to sell their products at a, at a faraway market rather than selling them in the local market and getting no profit at all. So I think it is important now to think of many multiple strategies, not just a single strategy of NREGA. Rather, one should have a bunch of strategies which should be pursued simultaneously and more uh, space should be provided to each of these households, rural households. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you. And uh, last, I will request uh, Dr. Arjun. Hello. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, yes, yes. Please. Yes, thank you. Thank you, sir, for such a uh, giving such a wonderful uh, talk, and uh, really talking upon the spatial dimensions of the issue, also uh, also migration, but also touching upon uh, the conundrum which the urban sector growth has led. Uh, many of uh, our professor, I also did my PhD from CSRD JNU. And uh, there, what uh, the urban, the inner urban areas growth in terms of population has been declining. That is also a phenomenon. And uh, uh, given that, we also have this exclusionary urbanization, uh, which, uh, sir, you have also raised. Uh, having said that, uh, sir, you have also mentioned that uh, in, in, in terms of agglo agglomeration economics and concentration, that there has been economies of scale and networking and other effects do work. And migration to these big cities, as we have also seen the return of migrants, that is that is the case. Uh, in in that term, sir, you have also highlighted that uh, started your lecture by Levis, Todaro, and other models uh, looking into those. Uh, sir, do you think in urban informal market also? Uh, 
a similar thing has been done as you also highlighted that uh, now those who have phd are applying for you know a few job so do you think here also similar type of thing has happened what has happened to our farm sector uh, more people are there and uh, if more people are there why they are not uh, coming into the unemployed labor force we have this workforce which is stagnant at around uh, some estimates is 45 crore some 48 crore 50 crore and we have this huge as professor bharat singh also mentioned that uh, every year we have at least 6 million 10 million new entrants so where are those going are we not capturing those why is our unemployment rate not ballooning uh, now we have 6 7% the few years back we had 2 3% uh, other than that sir i have this uh, uh, another question pertaining to policy uh, that in narega uh, the budget has been revised again as sir you mentioned the government has uh, increased also under the pradhan mantri garib kalyan package manorama also mentioned Uh, uh, other than that, we have this Atmanirbhar package of 21 lakh crores, almost 10% of the GDP. Despite having that, in 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 quarter two, the uh, you know our the dip is almost one fourth. Uh, so, uh, do you think that uh, these policies are working, or what should be done to stimulate the aggregate demand in in this uh, near and short term uh, for this year, and uh, how to go ahead so that uh, lives of the peoples are impacted? Uh, thank you, sir. Yes, uh, uh, I'm not too sure if I could actually hear you properly because there was a lot of uh, instability in the internet on my side. Um, so, uh, nevertheless, um, see, uh, we do agree that uh, there is a lot of fluctuations in the demand, and the demand has decelerated so much that the government is uh, finding tremendous difficulty to raise the effective demand. So, for that, I think it is very important that how people get. Uh, enough income in their hands to generate effective demand what are the mechanisms of course you cannot uh, distribute money that is not going to be long lasting it can be a transitory it can be a, of transitory help but it can't be sustained for long so how to uh, take advantage of this situation and build the infrastructure let us say employment strategy and building infrastructure strategy both can be combined so that you are actually getting some work done and you are making the payment and uh, the construction is one such activity which can actually contribute to employment creation in a significant manner both in the rural and the urban areas and uh, that is way that is uh, one way how you will have something being created some asset is being created and at the same time it will create livelihood opportunities and uh, that is how the income then can be transferred to the hands of the workers and the effective demand can be generated um, the other point uh, that you were mentioning uh, is that the people are actually compromising with their uh, quality of employment uh, and it is happening at every level um, so the on the job training uh, this is another important uh, strategy that the government can actually do at the moment that uh, try to let us retrain our workers try to um, provide skills to the uh, to the unskilled and semi skilled workers so they would also find some kind of engagement and also you will have the trainers who can be gainfully employed and you provide some kind of stipend to the participants so that the the, the trainees also get some kind of uh, employment uh, indirect employment benefits and at the same time the trainers will also get some preoccupations 
I think this is how it can start, and I'm hopeful that uh, that in one year's time we should be able to then again recope with with some of these uh, shortfalls that we have already undergone. Thank, thank you, thank you, sir. Uh, one just last addition that uh, we have also announced in the last budget uh, that uh, we have this program called National Infrastructure Pipeline. Uh, to right. the tune of investment of 103 lakh crores, right. almost right. one crore crore. And right. uh, we have almost more than 7,000 projects under that. And uh, right. that has been stalled. I totally agree that that infrastructure creation, also the agricultural fund of more than one lakh crore, right. this has been uh, uh, highlighted. But uh, so what kind of projects in your view uh, should be initiated this idea of reskilling and engaging I find it uh, 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 a very, very effective uh, uh, solution yes. by you. Thank you, sir. Yes. But in terms of infrastructure, uh, what could be, you know, the focus? We have seven, eight thousand. Many of those get right. into environment, right. land, other issues, big infrastructure projects. See, but it yes, it has to be the it has to be of very different nature as we move from the rural to the urban space. In the when in the rural context, we when we, we are using this term creation of infrastructure, it has a very different objective. That you have the irrigation infrastructure, you have the construct, you have the building of houses, you have like uh, uh, your your residential uh, houses can be rebuilt, uh, and also uh, creating certain roads and connectivity, etc. Now, when we are men and also providing storehouses so that uh, the people uh, in the, always uh, the uh, Indian farmers uh, have been suffering from this problem of uh, shortage of storehouses. So in what way such facilities can be provided. So this is the time uh, which we in fact uh, try to utilize to build those kinds of uh, infrastructure and so that in future the, uh, the farmers will not have to pursue the distress sale kinds of things. They should be able to store them properly and then get the profits around the year. Now in the urban uh, context, when we are talking about infrastructure, it can again mean a variety of things. It can mean uh, creating the uh, large industries in the outskirts of the cities, in the census towns that I was mentioning, that they have been transformed into urban space, but they do not have infrastructure. They do not have the base for industrialization. So in what way larger industries can be encouraged in such space? And in very large million plus cities, the corporate sector, the corporate sector's uh, contribution to value addition, um, how it can be encouraged, in what way more space can be created. Obviously, the city limits are fixed. So you will have to think of vertical uh, growth. So in what way the vertical growth can be encouraged in, in uh, cities like Delhi, where you have a lot of scope. And that can contribute to value addition and that can contribute to livelihood creation. Uh, thank you, sir. And thank you. Uh, I think uh, the time is almost one more than one hour. And uh, we have uh, uh, around, uh, you know, we have scheduled it 45 minutes. And uh, it's really, uh, you know, insightful and uh, talking to you is you can talk at length at any level like you know uh, and uh, so I, I thank you very much from our bottom of heart from because we have uh, got so much insight from you and uh, I think uh, we uh, will also uh, put a kind of uh, you know 
newspaper article and even uh, a policy brief of out your out of your lecture and we'll also uh, before finalizing it we'll also send to you and uh, thank you for your time and thank you uh, to uh, professor bharat dr manorama ji and dr reena kumari for uh, you know obviously dr arjun kumar ji uh, for a very short time uh, for a short notice we have uh, we have requested them to come for the discussion and they come out and uh, and thank you very much for sir again and in future again we'll will and we'll request you and we'll and for sparing time for this this kind of insightful talk and and uh, and and we'll we'll get a lot from you and thanks again thank you very much thanks to all thank you very much as i thank mentioned thank you very much it's a great privilege and pleasure for me yes thank you sir thank you thank you